Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Remember the Thai cave rescue? What about the mission depicted in Black Hawk Down or the epic rescue shown in Captain Phillips? You've probably heard of all of these, but did you know that U.S. Air Force Special Warfare played a pivotal role in all of them? These airmen are the most highly trained warriors on the planet. Other forces like the SEALs and Army Rangers call on them to provide skills no one else can. Not many people make the cut, but if you think you can, visit AirForce.com to learn more. This is the Busted Open Podcast. You can listen to the full show Monday through Saturday from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Welcome to the Busted Open Podcast. This is Dave LaGreca. On today's episode, WWE Hall of Famer Bully Ray and I recap AEW Blood and Guts and Bully gets into his good, bad, and ugly from AEW Dynamite from last night. Also... How about tonight? And that's the premiere of season three of Dark Side of the Ring. And we get into it with executive producers Evan Husney and Jason Eisner right now on the Busted Open Podcast. Glad that you I'm glad no. that you watched Bloody Guts last night. And you and I were texting back and forth throughout the show. So I know that uh, you're extremely passionate about some of the things that you like from last night and some of the things that you didn't like from last night. And uh, there was a lot to like, and there was a lot to be frustrated about. We'll be talking about each and every moment match and segment from what we saw on AEW dynamite blood and guts last night with you and the busted open nation. Give us a call eight seven seven three four 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 eight nine three eight seven seven fight 93 and interesting show, a hype show. This is a show that, we were first supposed to get in Newark over a year ago, uh, weeks after the start of the pandemic was canceled several times. Never thought we were going to see a bully, but we saw it last night. Um, the crowd was on fire last night for yes. the main event. They were on fire last night for Orange Cassidy. They were definitely hyped up. They were ready to go. They had a great time, and you can hear it. And the more and more people I hear at these AEW events, the harder it is to watch things kind of like the Thunderdome. We're not here to talk about Raw or SmackDown tonight, but there's nothing can um, compare to the feeling of a live audience. Um, those AEW fans were there to have a great time. They had a, ga- a great time. I got to tell you, got some got some messages on the old Twitter machine last night about a little bit of bait and switch by AEW. Want to get your take on this? Uh, did you hear anything about the live show not exactly being live? Yeah, and I guess because of what they were doing for Blood and Guts, uh, they pre-taped the first hour of the show, and then the second hour was live in front of a crowd. From what I hear, uh, Tony Khan addressed it at the beginning, explained what was going to happen for that night. And if anybody wanted a refund or didn't want to partake in it, they were free uh, to get a refund. But I guess because of the logistics of the cage and they they wanted to end the night with uh, what we were going to see with Blood and Guts, the first hour was pre-taped. 
But you have to think that that was not a last-minute decision. AEW knew that this was going to happen. Oh, I'm sure. Logistically, it had to, correct? I mean, it would have been very difficult to put on a live show, finish those matches, and put up that cage and put those two rings together in such a short amount of time. So you knew way ahead of time that the people who paid to come to Daly's place were not going to get that full two-hour live show, were not going to be on television for the full two hours. They were going to have to sit for the first hour and watch the pre-taped first hour of Dynamite on the Tron, and then they would get uh, they would come up live with Kenny's promo, Orange Cassidy crashing, and then the main event, right? Yes. Very much like so what we me- talked about uh, with WrestleMania too with the closed circuit for some of the show, and then you're going to get some of the show live in the arena. But in WrestleMania 2, you knew exactly what you were getting yourself into. When you bought that ticket to Nassau Coliseum for WrestleMania 2, you knew that you were going to watch a live card in front of your own eyes, and then Chicago would be shown on the big screen, and L.A. would be shown on the big screen. You, you know, you got that. And same thing for Chicago at the Rosemont Horizon and same thing for uh, L.A. Uh, at the mm-hmm. Coliseum, wherever they were. So we've been in a pandemic for two year, uh, for a, a year and a couple of months here, and people are slowly being able to go back to shows. And I think last night would have been the most hyped AEW show uh, for fans to attend and pay to go see. Yes? Yes, I would say that. Since their debut episode, this was probably the biggest dynamite that they've had. Cool. So imagine this Saturday night, you were going to see your first Alice Cooper concert since this pandemic started. And you're all hyped up to see Alice. And you know Alice is going to play a two-hour show. And you paid good money for Alice's two-hour show. And five minutes before the show started, Alice came out and said, hey, I just want to let you know, the first hour of the show you're going to watch on the Titan Tron, but then the second hour of the show, I'm going to be live. How would you feel? I'd be a bit let down. (laughs) How would you feel? I would be let down. I would be upset. For sure. Of course. So I don't know why they did that. You know, uh, I, 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 I appreciate AEW for their transparency. I appreciate Tony for his honesty and transparency. That seems like a very old school, carny pro wrestling thing to do. And I saw enough tweets last night with people screen capping and sending stuff that made me go, hmm, it seems like people are a little annoyed about this. So I just wanted to get your take, and that's why I was using the Alice Cooper analogy, because I know I would probably be upset too. That kind of takes the wind out of your sails. And from what I understand, this announcement was only made 5, 10, 15 minutes before they went live. So imagine... All day long, you're looking forward to going to Dynamite. The drive there, you're pumped up. The parking lot, the tailgating. Yeah, we're going to go. We're going to go. We're going to have a great time. I can't wait to be loud at exactly 8 p.m. Eastern time. And then at 7.45, you find out we're not live for the first hour. I mean, that's a bit of a buzz kill, if you ask me. The first thing I thought of when I started seeing that bully is, first of all, if you think about it, it kind of makes sense, right? I mean, you're going to have to put this whole thing. How are you going to do that so quickly? And I was Total like, Total sense. I get the logistics. Yeah, co- completely makes sense. And I, 
And right after, I was like, shit, I should have thought about that because we had Tony Khan on the show yesterday, obviously on a Wednesday, and he's been very good about coming on each and every Wednesday. And I was like, damn, I should. Like, how did I not think of that? Because if you really do think about it, how are you going to put on a live show for two hours? And he said on our air yesterday that the second hour was almost going to be completely dedicated to blood and guts. Oh, man, how are you going to put up that cage and put those two rigs together and everything during, you know, a four and a half minute break? Hey, everyone, this is former NFL linebacker and current Sirius XM NFL radio host, Kirk Morrison. And I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, Total Coverage. Each week, I'll be joined by some of the greatest minds in the game as we explore the hows and the whys behind the week's biggest results. Whether we're breaking down player techniques, game plans, or coaching philosophies, we'll explain the details that define our favorite performances. New episodes will be available every Tuesday on the SiriusXM app, Pandora, and Apple Podcasts. So, Tony Khan said on our air, as, as JR said, it's going to be brutal, and it was. Uh... She was turning away at points when there was crimson masks and there was a lot of blood. When MJF was on top of that cage with Jericho, she's like, man, this this kid really is a piece of shit. And like she was completely buying into the story. And when she's like, don't do it. She was actually saying, don't do it. Don't do it. And she was relieved when Sammy Guevara yelled up, we surrender. And then MJ and she was like, no. And MJF pushes Jericho off the off the top of the cage. And she's like, no. And she goes, oh. So it went from no. Oh. He's okay. <laughs> he's okay. And I'm like, no, that's not the way. That's not what you're supposed to no. I was like, oh my but God, you, no. But you but you have to elaborate. Why would she go from oh, oh no, don't do it, oh my God, to oh. Because why the sudden change in uh, attitude or emotion? Because it went from "Oh my God, this man could die" to falling safely onto a large mat, which was completely visible with the camera angle that they gave you at the end of the match. And I, and bully, I couldn't sleep last night because I was so angry at. Whoever is at fault there, whether it's the camera person, I don't think it's the camera person because they're all directed to be in certain places. So I guess it would be the director or producer. I don't know. You would know better than me. But like I completely got caught into the story. I love the ending. Love it. I love the fact that MJF with a crimson mask holding Jericho's body. And it's like, yeah, come on. Either surrender, I'm dropping this but I'm dropping this guy off the top of the cage. I thought it was beautiful. I thought it was a great moment for MJF. I mean, I took a picture of it with my phone. Him standing bloodied on top of that cage to me was a career defining moment for MJF. I really thought it took him to another level. It really, really did. And then why would you show such a close-up shot of Jericho going through that at the end? Like I, I don't, I don't understand it. And and for all the fans that are like, oh my god, like he should have. There was a pad there. Of course there was. Wait, I mean, what do you want the man to fall on hard concrete and die? But there's a way to show it where it's not as obvious as it was last night. Do you do you understand my frustration, bully? Uh, one thousand percent. Um, you're talking about camera angles and the way something is shot. And they didn't 
the ending of that match didn't miss the kaboom. They just shot the kaboom entirely too up close. Yes. Which should have never been done. Um, I was very selective with my tweet this morning that I sent out talking about last night. If you take a look at my Twitter machine, you'll see a GIF of Rikishi taking a bump off the top of the steel cage. I don't remember if it was, I think it was at Rock or Austin who throws him off the cage. I don't even remember. Um, Watch how the WWE shoots that. They shoot that from down below at first, then they shoot it wide. You never see the actual splat. You should have never seen the actual splat last night from Jericho. It should have been shoot it from underneath to show how high and Jericho and MJF are. Then you shoot it wide so you, so you can see how far down that bump really is. And then you let it almost go out of frame for a second. Then you get tight. You never show Chris hitting because once they show Chris hitting what is supposed to be what I heard described as concrete last night from JR or Shivani, it's not it wasn't concrete. This is professional wrestling. This is sports entertainment. There's a lot of smoke and mirrors and special effects and a lot of fun stuff involved. Last night they showed the special effect entirely too much. And much like the ending of the barbed wire exploding death match, I think people were disappointed. Because remember, Dave, the only thing that they remember is the finish. Now, I don't think last night's bump took away from the match nearly as much as the explosion not going off in fans' eyes. I think people really disappointed by that explosion not happening. But we can agree, the match was fantastic. Yes, fantastic. The barbed wire death match. Had, had a blast. Last night, same thing. The match was fantastic. I really enjoyed the blood and guts double cage. Blood and guts double cage. I thought the double cage looked awesome. The boys worked their asses off. Um, I, I will nitpick something that happened in that cage, and it's 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 guys in the pinnacle bleeding. Nobody should have bled last night on the pinnacle side, except for MJF. Nobody bleeding meant more in that match than MJF. None of those camera shots with MJF having a crimson mask are going to mean more or going to get replayed. I don't know why the FTR guy, I don't know if it was one guy or two guys. I don't know why they decided to bleed. I think both of them bled. I think both members of FTR For what reason? It's gratuitous blood that got you no mileage means nothing. What should have happened is the inner circle should have gotten beat down pretty damn good in that match. All of the inner circle guys should have bled. And then when it really meant something, that's when MJF should have bled. 
And then when you get a bloody Jericho and a bloody MJF on the top of that cage, that's what really means something. Because once Jericho and MJF were on the top of the cage, that's all the camera wanted to shoot. The camera couldn't have given a rat's ass about anybody in that ring. So there's no reason for the FTR guys to get massive color. Why? You didn't do, you're not doing it for the match. You have to take into account the match, the bigger picture, what they're going to remember, what the company wants them to remember. You can tear the house down in the cage. You don't need to bleed if it's really not going to mean anything. Remember when, when you, you know, FTR prides themselves on being the Arn and Tully of this generation. Remember when Arn would start a War Games match against whoever? Why did Arn always start? Because he was dependable. You knew, you, you, you know, he was going to be the guy that's going to outlast everybody else. That was, and it was a great way to start because you always started hot. Because he was the best worker. Yeah. And he could carry the five minute first period because that five minute first period, you know, nothing's happening. Nothing happens in that first five minutes, but Arn could carry it with anybody else that was in there. How many times did Arn bleed within the first five minutes of a war games? I couldn't even tell you. I couldn't Never. Even tell you. I couldn't even Never. tell you. Yeah. You know, that's not the... Yeah, I know it's called blood and guts, but save the blood and guts for when it means the most, and I think it would have meant the most with MJF. Because the shots of MJF with that color, the shots of Jericho with that color, that's what you wanted to isolate. And that's, and that's so, what you're going to remember years forward after this is all said and done. Getting back to this camera angle thing, um, I do think that, listen, somebody made the decision to shoot it the way they did. Either Tony Khan made that call or the head director or producer, the head director in the truck who's in charge of the cameraman made that call or maybe even Jericho made that call. I don't know who made that call to shoot it the way they did, but it was the wrong call. Yes or no? I can't I can't see anybody wanting that angle to end that match. So something had there had to be a miscommunication because I don't see why like you said seeing the rabbit in the hat before you pull it out. Like, you know, it, it kind of it kind of took you out of the element. I completely agree with you. It's not as bad as the miss kaboom in the death match, but it's similar in the way that this is the last thing that we should be talking about today is, is a camera angle at the end of a match. Like, and it's unfortunate because bully, I told you straight up and you yelled at me and argued with me, but I told you straight up. And to this day, it holds true. I can't go back and watch that death match between Kenny Omega and John Moxley because the end is so anticlimactic. I don't think it's the same thing here, but it does take you out of the element. And what we should be talking about this morning is about what a great match it was. Sure, if you want to throw out the, the gratuitous blood, that's fine. But for the most part, Bully, what we should be talking about today is how great a match it was and about MJF standing on top of that cage in that crimson mask and what a moment and what an iconic image for this young man moving forward. And all that should stay true, but unfortunately, that fall and that camera angle took me out of the element and pulled me out of the story. I'm just being honest. 
Two examples of how the correct camera angle can make all the difference in the world is, as I said, the tweet that I posted today with the gif of Rikishi falling off to the top of the cage into what looks to be like a, a hay truck or a, or a farm truck or something like that. Uh, go and watch it. Also, uh, I sent you a video last night of when Arnold Schwarzenegger showed up at, I think, Monday Night Raw, and he backhanded Triple H across the face. Go watch it. Arnold never touches Triple H, but the way they shot it from behind, you would have think that Arnold Schwarzenegger knocked Triple H's dick stiff. It looked perfect, and it was all about the angle. Yep. <laughs> was that a little too stiff? Oh, sorry. Um, so, um... <laughs> I just I just wish that they, they, they would have shot it differently. It's a mistake. But to me, I'm not going to let it take away from the effort and the match. I thought that was a hell of a, a war games or whatever the hell you want, a blood and guts match. Great main event. Great effort by everybody. I loved the wall of death sequence. Oh, my God, when, bully. That was fantastic. Fantastic. You know, I'm sure it Ugh. reminded a lot of people of something out of like uh, what was the the movie with Mel Gibson? Uh, uh, Braveheart. Know, the, the Braveheart. Oh, running at each other. To me, it reminded me of a wall of death at like a thrash metal concert where they're all just converging on one another. Um, so yeah, do you want me to go on with the good, the bad, and the ugly, or do you want to take a break right here? As a wrestling fan, you know it's hard. All the blood, the sweat, the tears, the chairs. It's a hard day out there. And do you know what tastes incredible after a hard day in the ring? A Mike's Hard Lemonade. You get all hot and bothered, and then you can cool off with an ice-cold hard lemonade. Since day one, Mike's Hard Lemonade has been making lemonade the hard way. They take three kinds of lemons, all hand-picked from family farms, and cold-press them to create a taste like no other. They choose to do things the hard way because they know hard days deserve a hard lemonade. That's why for 25 years, nothing has tasted better after a hard day than a Mike's Hard Lemonade. Find now in store, Mike's is hard, so is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium malt beverage with flavors. Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited-time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for $15 a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash busted open. That's mintmobile.com slash busted open. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash busted open. $45 upfront payment required equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors, no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart. 
Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh Never Frozen Meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Head to Factormeals.com slash Busted50 and use code Busted50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code Busted50 at Factormeals.com slash Busted50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. This can only be one of two things. Either Metallic is about to hit the stage... Or our scholar and teacher, Bully Ray, is going to give us the good, the bad, and the ugly from AEW, AEW's blood and guts from last night. So, Bully, take it away, my friend. All right, we're going to start off with the good. We already hit some of the good. The good was the main event. I really liked it. Um, I think it lived up to the hype of the Blood and Guts theme and what AEW was trying to push. Um, other than the camera angle on the f- uh, on the final bump, just it-, it was a good match. I also liked Orange Cassidy's showing last night. Orange Cassidy got a massive pop um, from that live crowd when he came out and he confronted Kenny Omega. Uh, the people are thoroughly behind Orange Cassidy. Looking forward to this match. I also liked the three-team tag match that we saw with uh, Daniels and Kazarian winning. And one of the reasons why I like that match so much is because it's the only match last night that remotely stuck to the rules. And we'll get into that when we get to the ugly. Uh, So that was my good from last night. Darby's bump uh, down the stairs was also good, but I'm not quite sure if last night was the right night to do that bump since we got the massive bump from Jericho off the top of the cage. The bad. We've already talked about the camera angle at the end of the main event. That was just bad. There's no way around it. Is what it is. And as Izzy said, hopefully they learn from it and they move forward. The commercials in the main event, another bad, but I'm not quite sure anything could have been done about it. Would have liked to have seen the entire match shown uh, from bell to bell. Another bad. Only MJF should have bled in that cage. Uh, It's the only color. It's the only blood that truly meant something last night. And to see a bloody MJF and a bloody Jericho at the top of the cage is your money shot. The the bleeding from FTR, totally gratuitous. And it almost seemed like they were going out of their way to bleed more than anybody else just for the sake of bleeding. Work for the match. Don't work for yourself. And one of the major bads from last night was Kenny Omega and the Impact World Heavyweight Championship. I think it is an absolute fucking disgrace that Kenny Omega could not come out at least holding the Impact Championship in one hand, and I believe it's the AAA. Is it AAA or CMML? CMLL. I always it's a AAA. It's AAA. Okay. Uh, the Impact Championship in one hand and the AAA Championship in another hand, while the AEW Championship is appropriately around his waist. To see Naka fucking nobody carrying that championship, to me, 
does nothing for impact. It does nothing for the championship. It does nothing for the perception of that championship. MT Nakazawa is nobody. Why is he carrying around Kenny's championships? Most importantly, the impact one. If Kenny would have come out with the AEW strap around his waist and holding both of the other championships in his hand and would have gotten a beauty shot and then handed those other championships to Nakazawa as he's cutting the promo with Shivani with the AEW belt around his waist, that's fine. I want to see the belt collector holding the belts, not having his lackey hold the belts for him. If I'm Impact Wrestling... I'd be fucking fuming last night and this morning. I don't care who owns the joint. I don't care who manages the joint. Talis, Demore, you should be mad. And I felt strongly enough to tweet about it last night. And a handful of Impact Talent decided to like the tweet. A handful of other wrestlers in the industry, decided to like the tweet. And a handful of Impact wrestlers decided to text me last night personally to let me know, thanks, Bubba, we appreciated that because you're oh so right. Why would you not carry the championship out there? Why would you not at least have your hands on it? And then you get a bunch of bottom-feeding know-it-all marks chiming and going, Well, don't you understand what Kenny's trying to do? This plays right into the story. Morons. It's not playing into a story. You're telling me that Kenny doesn't care about all these other belts. I have fans telling me, don't you understand? Kenny could care less about the Impact Championship. Kenny could care less about the AAA Championship. That's why he doesn't hold them. Well, if he doesn't care about them, why is he winning them? Why is he bothering to show up in AAA to win their most prestigious championship? Why is he showing up in Impact Wrestling to win their most prestigious championship? What's the point if you don't care about them? And if he doesn't care about the belts, guess what, Dave? I don't give a damn about the belts. And neither should anybody else. I'm not saying that Kenny had to hold those championships the entire time, but there should have been a moment in time, preferably when he comes out of the tunnel, that you see Kenny with the AEW championship around his waist, Impact championship held high in the air, AAA championship held high in the air. There's your shot. Now the announcers can talk about it. I don't care if Nakazawa is wearing the TNA championship because that TNA strap is nothing more than a prop at this point. It means absolutely nothing. That's my Kenny rant. On to the ugly of last night. The ugly were the first two matches. And not necessarily the matches or the effort put forth by the boys. It's the refereeing and the lack of attention to the rules. You had Omega and Nakazawa versus Moxley and uh, Eddie Kingston. Mm-hmm. Was that a Texas Tornado tag team match last night, Dave? Uh, that's the same question that Jim Ross asked during that match as well. Um, uh, Evil Ed, can you play yes. the uh, audio from last night of JR? Here you go. 
Is this a Texas Tornado tag? No, it's not. This is uh, just a straight-up tag team match. Referee Paul Turner struggling to regain control. A deep, deep low blow. Literally the deep dive. And it was behind the back of referee Paul Turner. I don't think John Moxley saw it either. And now look at this Nakazawa just choking Eddie Kingston. Resorting to tactics like that, the low blow and the choke hold, and look, using his lanyard to choke him. This is just wrong. Take the damn lanyard away from it. Nakazawa tagging out to Kenny Omega. Omega. Sassif, next caliber that the referee is intimidated by Kenny Omega. JR has to protect himself because he knows how bad the officiating is. He knows how bad the lack of paying attention to the rules are. He knows how bad the whole situation is. You know what the real problem is? It's the guys putting the match together who couldn't give a shit less about the referee. They're just going to go out there and do whatever they want to do. That's uncalled for. It's lazy. You're burying your referee. And it, some of this is on Paul Turner, too. And Paul Turner is one of the best referees out there right now. But when JR is going to come and say, I'm guessing he's intimidated by Kenny Omega, that's an issue. It is. I'm agreeing with you, Bully. You're it's a watching a wrestler hold a foreign object in their hand and choke another wrestler with said foreign object, and you don't do a thing about it. Nothing. Zero. Nil. Nada. And then everybody's just running around everywhere to the point that JR doesn't even know what's going on. My God, is this a Texas Tornado tag team match? Excalibur. Uh, uh, well, no, JR, it's a regular match. That was actually the WWE lackey chiming in. <laughs> hey, come on, man. Here I am at the last week going, you know what? It looks like AEW is starting to tighten their screws. Wow, they're starting to get it. They're doing little things here and there. The referee's been better. The, the officiating, the, the paying attention to the rules. Last night, they took that, boom, right out the fucking window. The, I, think, I think there was two things they could have done there. Number one is... Just count, because, I mean, you got the 20 count outside the ring, and it's not a five count to, to do the break. In AEW, it's a 10 count. So do the count. Like, I, I, I never understand, like, the yelling at the wrestler to stop. How you get a wrestler to stop is by counting. Count the five. Count. Count. count and that's going to make him stop. Yeah. Do the attempt to count or or bully since it, it since last night was blood and guts. Then you know what? Make it a Texas tornado match. Just say you know what? Let's There's get back no to rules. That. Okay. Let's get back to that because I think that's a great point, especially after we get to match number two. Match number two: Cody and QT. Cody Rhodes takes off his weightlifting belt to go and whip QT Marshall. The referee sees this and says, uh-uh-uh, no, you don't, Cody, because whipping somebody with a belt is illegal and thus will get you disqualified. So the referee yes. takes the belt away and he throws it out of the ring. Great job, referee. Two seconds later, QT Marshall takes off his weightlifting belt and whips Cody Rhodes. 
right in front of the referee. Yes? No? Maybe so? He did. He did. Yes. What did the referee do? Did he take the belt away from QT Marshall? Shouldn't that be a disqualification? I mean, there's a lot of things that happen at Mass that should have been a disqualification. Why do you stop the baby face from do it and then watch the heel do it right in front of you? It's it's just atrocious refereeing. It's atrocious storytelling. Why is it okay? I am not telling anybody, nor have I ever said to anybody, you can't do something. You can do whatever you want, whenever you want, as long as it makes sense. But don't take the referees for granted. If you're going to do it, do it the right way. When the referee took the belt out of Cody's hands, he should have went over to walk it over to one of the ringside people to hand it to them. And as he's walking over to hand it to them, that's when QT whips Cody with his belt, throws it outside. The ref turns around. I didn't do nothing, ref. That's how you do that spot. And I didn't just reinvent the wheel. That spot's been going on for 100 fucking years. It's easy. Just think about it. Just give it some thought. Make it make sense. So in the first two matches, the ugly of AEW last night was definitely the refereeing and the lack of paying attention to the rules by the wrestlers who put said matches together. And the referees are not going to sit there. Paul Turner is not going to sit there and go, um, Kenny... Um, John, yeah, uh, the match that you put together sounds really good, but I kind of look stupid. No, Paul's keeping his mouth shut and doing what he's told. The referee in the Cody match. What, you think the referee in the Cody match is going to say, well, Cody, you know, Mr. Executive Vice President, you know, Mr. Uh, face of the company, you know, uh, Mr. Guy who could probably have me fired in two seconds. Ah, uh, no, he's not saying nothing. So, Dave... As we talked about last night, what should AEW have done at the beginning of... Actually, it should have been done on Busted Open yesterday with Tony Khan. What should AEW should have done last night when it came to rules and refereeing? Throw them out the window. In, in, in regards to having this blood and guts match in hour two, you know what? There's some other feuds that are going on as well in AEW. One of them happens to be Eddie Kingston and John Moxley with Kenny Omega. And obviously, QT Marshall and Cody Rhodes make those two matches no DQ matches. Why not? It kind of fits the theme of what was going on last night. Then you don't have to worry about it. Then you don't have to explain it. JR doesn't have to cover for anything. Bully's not on the next day talking about the good, the bad, and the ugly. Why? Because throw the rule book out the window and you don't have to cover yourself. Because I'm sorry, as long as there's rules and you have somebody in the ring to enforce those rules, if they're not, it's going to look bad. And last night in those two matches, I agree with you, Bully, it looked bad. I mean, outside interference from Arn Anderson, he's taking QT Marshall's head, and he's banging it and, and shredding it against the, the, the steel post outside the ring, and the referee comes out to stop it? What? That's a DQ, outside interference. That's not a disqualification. 
Well, didn't they get Arn out of there when Arn punched QT? Yeah, but before he punched QT, he was taking his head. He smashed it against the steel post outside the ring. That, that doesn't get right you disqualified. That was right in front of the referee also, right? Yeah, because the referee's telling him to stop. And then he called He called for other referees to come out to pull Arn Anderson off of QT Marshall. This is during the match. These are things that AEW needs to pay. To, and listen, I hope they do 2 million viewers from last night. In no way, too. shape, or form am I, wish, am I wishing them negative. But here's the things that Tony Khan and the rest of these AEW guys and gals need to hear because I don't think anybody's talking about it. Don't untighten your screws. I wish Tony Khan would have come on this this show yesterday, and maybe they didn't think about this, but this is things that they do need to think about and would have said, you know what, Dave? You know what, Tommy? It's blood and guts. It's all out war. War. It kind of reminds me back in the day, like ECW when the rules were thrown out the window. Screw it. You know what? Major announcement. There are no rules tonight in blood and guts. No disqualifications. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. But basically tell us, the referees don't mean shit for the night, and all they are there to do is count to three or watch if anybody taps. And you know what I'm going to do, Dave? I'm going to sit back, I'm going to eat my popcorn, and I'm going to watch with a smile on my face because you told me before the show started that these were the rules you were setting forth. Thus, I will follow along because it's pro wrestling, and anything can change at any time. Yep. So you want me to watch two hours with no rules and regulations because it's a blood and guts theme? Okay, no problem. Now I'm accepting of your tornado match. Now I'm accepting of, uh, of, of guys getting hit right in front of the referee with foreign objects. I'm good with it. I don't care anymore. I'm not going to come on and go, oh my God, you gave me a two-hour show with no rhyme or reason or referee and rules? Exactly. Because you let me know up front. It's kind of like the theme, theme, a theme pay-per-view, Extreme Rules, or a, or, a, or, a, or a TLC pay-per-view, or any kind of pay-per-view that has a theme. This is blood and guts. This is bigger than uh, um, uh, any one particular, uh, this is bigger than rules or anything. We're throwing them out the door. Yeah, if you want to want to keep the rules in that tag, that three-man tag, whatever, because it was for a number one contendership. And, and you know what? That makes sense. That would make complete sense because it's for a number one contendership and there's not a blood feud. But those other matches, th there's there's feuds there. It makes perfect sense. This is like an extreme rule situation where you just take those rules and throw it out the window. Why not? And then, you know what, Bully? Then, like you said, the pressure's off. Then the referee, you, you know what, guys? Do whatever the hell you want. There's no rules anyway. But you know what, Bully? To be fair, the last two weeks, you have the last three weeks, actually, you have praised AEW up and down for tightening those screws. You even said on this show, man, they've turned a corner. Like now I am, I, I, I got no complaint. I am fully invested. Why? Because all those little things that could add up to a lot, they're fixing. They're paying attention to their officiating. They're counting the wrestlers outside the ring. They're counting their wrestlers inside the ring. They're enforcing the rules, which makes it important enough that now I'm invested. Last night, they threw it out the window, which is fine. But if you're going to do that, make the announcement you're going to do it.
when I hear a commentator tell me that a referee is struggling to maintain order, what you have now told me is that referee is not worth shit and thus should not be refereeing a match. Fire him. He's not doing his job. What what we saw last night is with the 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 lack of paying attention to the rules and the refereeing is bad pro wrestling. It should not happen. You know why it shouldn't happen? Because it doesn't have to happen. All guys have to do and gals have to do is sit down and put their matches together the way they want to put them together and then ask themselves, how do we keep the credibility on the ref? Watch this, Dave. Uh, Omega and Nakazawa, Moxley and Kingston. They could have went buck wild and did everything they wanted to because Omega could have jumped them on the floor. They could have had a massive brawl on the floor. Never had to get in the ring, so Paul Turner couldn't have rang the bell to start the match. So you could have got your massive tornado, you know, shit hits the fan to start the show off with, uh, you know, with a lot of action. And then once you roll into the match and he rings the bell, then you have some semblance of tagging in and out. What's wrong, Kenny? What's wrong, Moxley? What's wrong, Kingston? What's wrong, Nakazawa? Can you not put a tag match together that adheres to the rules and listening to the ref? Are you just not that good? Simple fixes, bully. Simple fixes that I and I think it can be. And I think they've done it the last week. I don't understand why you can't connect the dots enough last night to just say, you know what? If this is what, hey guys, if this is what you want to do, and this is the road you're going to go down, then hey, you know what? Then we got to make sure that there are no rules in this match. If I'm the agent of the producer and I have enough uh, confidence in those guys in that tag match and they came to me and like, hey, Bubba, we're going to do this, 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 and this. I'd be like, great, no problem. Keep your whole match the way you want to do it. The same exact match that we just saw on TV last night, but tweak this and tweak this so the referee doesn't look stupid. That's it. I'm not, uh, there's not one thing that I saw from Omega Nakazawa, Moxley and King, or Cody and QT that I would have told them not to do. Do it all. Just make sense of it. Or just sit back like you did last night and not, and not think anybody anything matters and be lazy about the thought process that goes into it. Because what I saw last night was lazy booking. Wow. Wow. Let's just go out there and do anything we want. Well, yep. Oh, we got to get a rating. We got to do this. We got to do, you know, uh, well, we were at a 1.2 three weeks ago. Then we were at 875. Then we were down to 793. And oh my God, things are going wrong. Let's just pack so much action into here. But the rules. I'm done. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I, I like it. I like it. And, and it if you disagree said. with me, you better tell me to my face right now. You told me to fuck off last week. Tell me again right now if you disagree. <laughs> hey, I have no problem telling you to fuck off. And I have no problem to say that you know nothing about pro wrestling. But it's the little things, Bully. And I think they're fixable. And I think they did a good job the last few weeks. And again, 
You could have just said there was no rules or just make some of those small tweaks where it would look completely different. Hey, everyone. This is Lisa Ann, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, The Lisa Ann Experience. This is my chance to share with you my experiences past and present, including how I went from living in the fantasy world of adult films to talking fantasy sports on Sirius XM. Each week, I'll introduce you to some of the people I've met on my journey and invite friends on to help me read through the endless ridiculousness that lands in my inbox. New episodes are available every Wednesday on the Sirius XM app and Apple Podcasts. Man, I, I can see you as a teacher because you are a teacher when it comes to the Team 3D Academy and a damn good one. And it sounds like to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, Bully, it's the fundamentals, the basics that seem to frustrate you more than anything else. It's the fundamentals and the basics that AEW last night threw out the window. It It should not happen. It doesn't have to happen. I'm not like some other people in the wrestling industry who look down upon AEW because they don't like some of the talents or they don't think a guy like Orange Cassidy should be pushed to the moon or they think there are too many super kicks. I'm not saying those things. I've never said those things. I might have an opinion on why 27 super kicks are too much in a match, but if anybody disagrees with that, you just don't understand wrestling. I like AEW. And I like it for a very valid reason, because it reminds me of ECW in many ways. And that's a good thing. It reminds me of all the good things in the Attitude Era. It reminds me of all the good things in the NWA. AEW has done a great job of picking. This is Tony Khan, who's a massive wrestling fan. He took what he liked from uh, from ECW, took what he liked from the NWA, from WCW, from the AWA, from the Attitude Era. He picks it, and he tries to do with it what he will in, uh, in AEW. That's a great thing. It's a fun product. That doesn't mean you have to take the foundation of what matches are built on and throw them out the door. And even if you want to throw them out the door, just telling me, just tell me you're going to throw them out the door so I can watch the right way. Somebody just chimed in on social media and they said, Bully, I thoroughly agree with what you just said, but it's obvious that you hate Kenny Omega. Dave, I'll let you talk for me. Do I hate Kenny Omega? No, you don't hate Kenny Omega. As a matter of fact, I remember we did an interview with Kenny Omega and I remember you talking to Kenny like he was an artist in the ring. I mean, uh, the the foundation of why you're on this show is us talking about Kenny Omega and Okada. To say that you hate Kenny Omega, I mean, first of all, you don't hate anyone. I mean, this is wrestling. This is you're just trying to make things better. But I I do not believe that you hate Kenny Omega. No, I don't hate Kenny Omega the person. I don't hate Kenny Omega the character. I do think. Kenny Omega, the character, could have done something differently with the Impact Championship last night. This is supposed to be a working agreement between Impact and AEW. What does this working agreement with Impact and AEW feel like to you, Dave? Uh, Pretty one-sided. But but people on social media are going, oh, Impact should be so grateful that their championship is being seen on TV by so many other people. By so many other people. Who? Who's holding the championship? Yeah, it's not the champion. Ryback got a boatload of heat 
a couple of months ago because he referred to certain championships as props. When I see Nakazawa holding those other championships, they appear to be props. And and to go back to your point, listen, he has that AEW World Championship around his waist, as it should be. But when you're not even bothering to hold up those other championship titles, yeah, it seems like there's no respect for those championship titles. Now, some fans might say, well, why should he? Well, if you're going to want me to buy into the character, him being the belt collector, and if you're Impact Wrestling and you want some kind of working relationship, it seems to me that Impact is just okay with like, hey, doing this relationship with AEW is going to put more eyes on our show and more eyes on our pay-per-views. And that's all they care about because you're not winning matches. You're losing titles. So if it's all just about viewers, fine. That won't last long if people aren't going to buy into the storyline that's being told. And remember what I'm saying, Dave. I didn't say Kenny had to wear the Impact Championship. I didn't say he had to hold it the whole time. I didn't say he had to make love to it, have coffee and cake on it, sit on it. I said all he had to do was come through that tunnel holding it in one of his hands, holding the AAA championship in the other hand, and raising them both up. There's your shot. There's your credibility on the Impact Championship. Then he hands it off so he can do his promo. And if so many Impact wrestlers disagreed with me, they wouldn't be liking the tweet and texting me on the side. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna call I'm not gonna mention their names. Don't have to. Don't want to put them on blast. That's it. And it makes Kenny look bigger too, because those championships mean more. You know, the fact that hey, these are prestigious titles, doesn't it make him look even better that he's holding on to all those championships? According to all of these Kenny marks. Kenny Snowflake marks who are chiming in. No, Kenny doesn't care about those other belts. Don't you get the story, Bubba? He doesn't care. Oh, okay, is that and, the story, uh, Dave? Am I missing something? Uh, if that if that's the story, I can't see that uh, making Triple uh, A or Impact Wrestling happy. If he's winning these titles, uh, if this is like if this is like Naito dragging the Intercontinental title across the floor because it's not the Intercontinental title that he cares about, it's the end. You know, it's the IWGP title that he cares about. If that's the story that's being told, okay. But you know what? It's not the Intercontinental title. It's world. Cha- it's a world championship title that's a representation of a company that you're working with. Sorry, I don't buy into these fans who are chiming into social media saying that Kenny doesn't uh, care about all these belts. If he didn't care, he wouldn't go and win them. He wouldn't go out of his way to have to wrestle for something that he didn't care about. Dave, do you do anything out of your way if you don't care about something? Nope. According to your wife, you're pretty freaking lazy. (laughs) You'll hear about that on the podcast this Sunday. Uh, I can't wait to hear it. I wouldn't call him. I don't so, think I'm lazy. But no, I'm at the point in my life that I'm only going to do things that I'm passionate about. If I'm not passionate so, about it, I'm not going to do it. I hope Impact Wrestling gives a shit enough to say something about that. And I might never know if so. You know what would be interesting? I'd love to hear what Tommy has to say about this. And, and whether or not Tommy actually gives his honest opinion on the situation, I don't know. But I know Tommy just as well as I know as myself, and Tommy would feel the same way. 
no way in hell that that belt should be held by a nobody. Um, also, really quick, uh, Bully, if I could. And when I say a nobody, I'm talking from a character point of view. Nakazawa is a nobody from a character point of view. I'm not demeaning the person of Michael Nakazawa. Of course. Now, just really quick, uh, something that I thought was really good last night, too. It does have meeting. I love the video package of Nagata and Moxley leading into their match for uh, the New Japan uh, U.S. title, the IWGP U.S. title that's going to be, you know, next week. I, I thought that because you said it before. Hey, you want to make me care? You got to you got to show us something so that we understand. I thought they did a good job with that last night. I thoroughly agree. That was a, a really strong package. Uh, seems like Moxley is going to really be up for this match. I, I don't know what type of match Nagata has in him against Moxley. I'm hoping we get to see the absolute best of New Yuji Nagata. I've seen it with my own eyes, and it's it, it's a it's a wonderful p- piece of uh, wrestling to witness. So hopefully, these two guys bring it. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Nike, Walmart, and Zappos. And even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use and you can get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers. And Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Uh, back here on Busted Open, Dave LaGreca, Bully Ray. Very heated first two hours of the show. And I'm glad that we are having the guests that we're having on right now. Why? Number one is because we're getting the premiere episode of season three tonight on vice and we've had jason eisner one of the producers on many many times even before dark side of the ring started evan husney has been on this show many many times jason eisner first time never came does a return phone calls doesn't return emails. I'm hard but to it's good to, <laughs> it's good to finally have both executive producers, Jason Eisner and Evan Husney on just before the start of season three, Dark Side of the Ring tonight on Vice. Guys, how are you doing, man? Great. We're doing good. Thanks for having us back. And good and, to have you on. 
Yeah, it's very yeah. good to have you on because you know what? We've kind of been on this journey with you, Evan. You and I spoke, uh, you know, out for Starcast. You know, for mm-hmm. you know what we saw with the Bruiser Brody episode, and we had a long conversation. We had you on, and you know, I'm sure there you weren't sure what what the future was of this show, what was going to happen. Season one comes success. Season two, even a bigger success. And now season three, man, like this is unbelievable what you guys have been able to do here with Dark Side of the Ring. Wow. Thanks. Yeah. It's hard to imagine back then, like, you know, when we had that, I mean, I think back then we only, we, that could have been it just the Bruiser Brody episode, you know, who knows if we would have ever had it picked up for a full season and, you know, would have had the whole thing. So yeah, it is pretty wild to see where this is, this is all grown, but it's awesome because, you know, it's like, you know, all, all of the wrestling fans are showing up to watch the show and, and I'm grateful that they've been digging it and yeah, it's awesome. Can't even imagine it. Yeah. What was cool about that um, that event too is I think it may have been the only time we've ever gotten to watch our one of our episodes with a crowd too. That's true. So that was really cool. That's true. So guys, for for our fans who might not be up to speed or not know, what episode will we be seeing tonight and throughout the course of this next season? That's right. So tonight is the Brian Pillman two hour episode, the full two hours. Uh, We uh, gave a little sneak peek at the first hour on YouTube uh, late last week. Uh, But yeah, tonight's the big premiere uh, two hour episode. Um, You know, in many ways, I think Brian Pillman is a quintessential story for us to cover. You know, Jason and I love looking at the, you know, where does reality and uh, and the rest and and the fiction world of wrestling collide and where's the gray area in that? I mean, we, we love that. And Brian, Pillman, man, he was one of the guys that really pushed that envelope more than anybody. And, um, you know, not, not only just a, a career of, you know, what could have been, but also just a sweeping drama in terms of his personal life. And, uh, yeah. So if you're a, a fan of all of wrestling, which I think you probably are, if you're listening to this show, you're going to absolutely love tonight's episode. I think it's one of our best. I want to follow that up and dive a little bit into the Pillman episode. You know, he was so great at blurring the lines. You didn't know where it Mm -hmm. began and end with him. You guys obviously spoke with his son and family members and fans and friends and uh, other wrestlers in the business. Were you guys able to figure it out? Were you able to understand like, oh, this is where the real guy ended and where the character started? And if so, will fans be able to notice that when they watch the episode tonight? I think so. I mean, you know, feel free to chime in, Jason. I think, you know, um, with Kim Wood, who seems to be he's the NFL strength coach who actually was, you know, mentoring Brian during his NFL run. Uh, he's quite the character. And I think people have already caught on to that uh, with the, with the preview episode. But, you know, Kim Wood really introduced Brian to this world of con men and con men literature and movies about con men. And Brian, what we found out was such an intelligent sponge you know when it came to just taking in all this sort of inspiration and really he sort of figured out well who's the biggest you know con men of them all who's the biggest you know mark of them all well you know the guys who are you know eric bischoff and vince mcmahon so if they can find out a way to work them and to take the wrestling angle out into real life to create this controversial character that's going to catch the attention of the smart fans all the newsletter readers and all those fans who who might actually start to believe 
this might be real. And I think that inherently raises the value of his character. The problem with that is I think if you're going to be, you know, acting like a loose cannon 24 hours a day, maybe that switch is never going to turn off. And I think that is kind of the darker side of committing to your character in that level of intensity. Yeah. And, and for us to like get all of, you know, his kids to come on the show and talk about how they experienced it and how they tried to navigate between who their father was and who the, you know, the, the gimmick was and to hear, you know, Brian Pillman Jr. Like talk about, you know, when his father died and how he processed that, like, and he thought at first it was just a, um, an, a part of the angle. And he was just waiting as is like, he's watching his family grieve. He's thinking this is a storyline and he's like waiting for like the cameras to show up. So that, you know, is really heartbreaking. And, and it's something that, you know, I feel you can only really find within the wrestling world to that extreme. Like I can't think of any other art form uh, or, or sport that um, would cause its family members to have to navigate the waters like that, you know? Yeah. I mean, you've covered uh, over the first two seasons some heavy, heavy topics. I mean, the, you know, the death of Gino Hernandez, the death of Bruiser Brody, uh, Jimmy Snuka, and, and just some really, really heavy episodes. And here you are going into season three. And it's a, it's amazing, like, because Bully and I were talking after season two, like, what could they possibly do next? And then I look over the episodes you're going to have for, for season three, and I probably am more excited <coughs> about the episodes we're going to see this season than I have the prior two seasons it, it's amazing in this crazy world of pro wrestling you don't have a lack of material to work with guys i know that is kind of uh one of the aspects of it that is oh yeah you can you can fill three seasons of a dark side of the ring quite easily um but you know for jason and i it's like that's the name of the show. But at the end of the day, our mission with all of these is to really show the human side of these stories, you know, to, to humanize these performers that we grew up loving and, 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 and to really, yeah, bring, bring it all to the, you know, like on a ground level. Um, you know, I think this, hap this season in particular is going to get into you know, the ultimate warrior, you know, characters that are larger than life, but it's like, how can we examine and find, you know, who this person was in real life. I think he's one of the more enigmatic personalities the wrestling world has ever seen. Um, and I think that's really what we set out to do is we don't start with, okay, what are the big tragedies? What are the big dark stories? It's really just what are the most compelling human stories? And I think, mm. man, season three has some, some of our most compelling, I think, in a lot of ways. Uh, Got to ask you this question. You're obviously on to talk about Dark Side of the Ring. We're always glad to have you on. I love all of the episodes. I might not agree with some of the stuff being said or done, but I still enjoy all of the episodes. How do you guys feel, if you've even seen them, any of the episodes, what A&E is doing with their documentaries? And do you think that they're, they're kind of, you know, seen the success of what you guys do and are now trying to present their own spin on it? I, I like to think that, you know, that they had seen what we were doing and that fans were interested in the history of wrestling and they knew that that was something that they had to jump on board with and start feeding to their, to their audience. And so, yeah, I've seen, I've seen the Roddy one and I saw the Randy Savage one. Um, the Randy Savage one was interesting um, in terms of like, it's like, it's, it's tone and like how, you know, it feels like it's, um, 
it, it, it has like the first hour and a bit feels like it's like one kind of documentary. And then the last part of it feels <laughs> yeah. like it's another documentary. You think? Um, so I find like the tone balance is really weird in it. But um, you can really tell on that one, I feel that they are trying to, you know, um, uh, do something kind of similar to what we're doing. Yeah. And but I it think it's flat. like if I'm sorry to, to, to cut you off, Evan, it fell flat. <laughs> And I think and I think that's grabbed the attention of the wrestling community is that they try they they try to attempt what they thought you guys were able to accomplish with your episode in season one. And it fell completely flat because it was so tabloid like where you guys were like, hey, this is about the relationship between Randy Savage and Elizabeth. I thought you were extremely fair. I thought with the documentary that was supposed to be a quote-unquote documentary about Randy Savage in that second hour, as you were saying, Jason, completely lost its way and tried to be what they thought Dark Side of the Ring is. I I actually haven't seen the Randy Savage episode yet, and only out of just like being super busy leading up till, you know, tonight and everything. Um, But, you know, yeah, from what I gather, you know, the chatter online is, um, you know, like exactly that but you know i i will say i think that there is a kind of fan perception that you know all of these are kind of made by the same person and one thing that i that that caught me was that each of these episodes i think is directed or executive produced by a different team so which i do think is interesting you know at the end of the day like and obviously the 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 team that made the randy one is the guys that did cocaine cowboys and things like that so it it is an interesting more maybe outsider perspective but i haven't seen it you know um and of course i will um but i think also uh, it's interesting to see all of this wrestling content on TV now, like our show, the A&E stuff, Young Rock, all this stuff. I- I'll tell you, five years ago, six years ago, when Jason and I were pitching wrestling projects around, nobody could give a shit you yeah. know, about this. So I think it's th- at the end of the day, I'm glad that there's interest. And that's what we set out to do. We really set out to show a more broader audience that um, the history of wrestling are compelling human stories, as I said before. So I do think that the fact that there is that level of interest at the end of the day, despite if, you know, all these work, you know, all these episodes or stories work, I think it is, is great because that's really what yeah. we knew in our heart of hearts was really, you know, yeah, w- would and- work. And for us as fans too, like I really enjoyed watching that Roddy doc too. Cause like there was like bits of information I didn't know. And I just, I love Roddy so much and yeah. getting, I'm glad yeah. that they like interviewed people in his family. Cause like, I find that such an interesting perspective and that's something that we try to do too is, you know, the family members know the wrestlers better than anyone really yeah. Uh, yeah. to a degree it's at times. Um, mm-hmm. So their, their, their perspective is really important. Yeah. You know, Earlier, you mentioned, you know, the heavy subject matter in Dark Side of the Ring. Um, If you ever did an episode on Dreamer, that should be the title. Heavy, the Tommy Dreamer story. What do you guys think? Stop it. (laughs) Well, he he uh, he 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 finally he finally he finally uh, shows up in season three, you know, which is cool. So it'd be cool to see him on there. And uh, there's a bunch of. Yeah. So I I think that's cool. I don't know. But (laughs) I don't know. No comment. (laughs) Always taking a shot at Tommy when I have that, as he does. But uh, in seriousness, why did you guys decide to kick off season three with Brian Pillman? Why was he the best choice for the first episode? 
Well, so, you know, Brian Pillman was a story that, uh, I mean, I, I grew up as a fan, had all the action figures and whatnot of Brian. And, um, you know, it's always been on my radar as a really compelling story, but mostly the in-ring side of it, you know, the, in, the you know, his manipulation with, uh, with the, with the loose cannon persona. But, um, this amazing book called, uh, crazy, like a Fox came out by, uh, Liam O'Rourke, uh, while I was actually on the road filming one of these seasons, I can't even remember which one, but uh, we were filming and I read it and I was just so, uh, just engrossed by the family drama of, like I was saying earlier about everything that was going on in the personal life of Brian, as well as balancing what was happening, you know, in his career. And that to me was just so compelling. And it just seemed like, wow, this, I could see the episode. I could see that this checks all the boxes for us and everything we like to look at. At, the blurred lines aspect, the family side, all that. And um, we actually talked about it for season two, but um, it was kind of this thing where we felt, you know, we need to have Stone Cold Steve Austin in this story because his career with Brian's is linked at some very important you know, integral moments in both their careers are linked, you know? So we didn't really have the street cred for lack of a better term, I think to get Steve in the show back then. Um, and I think I'm glad we waited because now, I, you know, with, with season three, we were able to get the proper introduction, make it happen. And I think that kind of put the whole thing together, but I didn't even think it would be a two hour show when we first started filming it. And then the story even was even more engrossing and, you know, wild than I ever would have thought. And I actually had to go back to the network and be like please can we have one more hour because i can't see how we can tell fit all this in and, and and thankfully they said yes so i think it just is just a quintessential it's a quintessential wrestling story for us and the type of stories we like to tell i just i can't think of a, a, a better one uh yeah for the season and to start like season three off we're you know again kind of resetting it um going into like 14 episodes i feel the story of brian pillman just you know reminds people of like what this industry is all about and you know like the like how we started off with the bruiser brody story um for for the the pilot of the show you know we were really interested in those blurred lines between you know frank goodish the real person and bruiser brody you know the character and so you know brian pillman yeah yeah, and like and brian pillman is uh very much um represents that too you know and you we you know, going down the path of making it this episode was like a balance of trying to, you know, find who was the real person and the character and how he got, how he worked the wrestling world, just like how Bruiser Brody did too. And that's really interesting to an audience to see how uh, that world can be navigated by its, uh, its wrestlers. Yeah. Well, you talked about the amount of material to have a two-hour premiere like we're going to get tonight for Brian Pillman. But also, this is unique in season three because there's so many episodes that it's going to be split into to do different, yeah. two different times. We're going to get, what, I, I believe, six episodes now and then later on in the summer, an, an additional seven episodes. So this, there's a lot of ground to cover in season three. That's right. Yeah, it's, 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 it's technically seven episodes to start because Pillman's counts as two um so seven and seven um but yeah uh and that's really exciting too it's like almost like you know it it reminds me like soprano season six you know broken up into two parts it's extra (laughs) you know baller (laughs) in that way but uh (laughs) but it's like you know i think man you just look at all the subjects that we've are covering it is just a 
breadth of different diverse types of stories. I mean, we're going to North Korea this season, you know, <laughs> we're, we're, we're covering very contemporary stories like Nick Gage, the Deathmatch underground. Um, you know, we're looking at, you know, Dynamite Kid. We're looking at, we're looking at a lot of different types of stories um, and then really deep cut stuff too. I can't wait to come on this show and start talking about Johnny Canine because I don't know if Johnny Canine has been talked about on Busted Open yet, but um, I'll be more than happy to do that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. We, we love it. Yeah. Which, which one of these episodes did you find the most revealing? Did you find out something? Wow. I never knew that before. <laughs> Man. Um, there's uh, many. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, go ahead. For me, I guess right now, just because I, I, it's something we're working on right now, finishing is uh, the story of Grizzly Smith. And, you know, growing up as a wrestling fan and watching that documentary Beyond the Mat, you got this like little glimpse into Jake the Snake Roberts, like um, like his home life and what it was like growing up with his dad uh, being a wrestler and um, that he had like a sister as well that was kidnapped and murdered when he was young. And that was like a source of trauma for Jake. But when you watch that documentary, it's only mentioned for like 30 seconds and then it, it goes by. But we always wondered, like, there's there's got to be so much more to that story. You know, yeah. and so we um, we've been thinking about that one for a long time, and that's been something we've really been wanting to tackle. And so to you know to get the whole family, the Smith family, together, um, and a lot of people don't realize that Jake comes from a family of wrestlers: his dad being Grizzly Smith, his sister being Rock and Robin, and he has another brother uh, named Sam, uh, Sam Houston. And you know they their life uh, growing up together is just, it's really tragic. And the story of their sister uh, being kidnapped is um, is like it's really it's really horrifying. And I think you know, with there being a few other documentaries about Jake the Snake Roberts, I think people are going to be really surprised that you know we don't really dive into anything that those other documentaries uh, do. Yeah, there's no overlap. <laughs> yeah, there's no overlap. Um, yeah. And to see the Smith family uh, together, they weren't there in person together, but they've all decided to together to tell their family's story um that's it's really fascinating and i think it is one of our best episodes we've made across the board wow i agree very very probably one of the more powerful episodes we've ever ever done yeah you talk about powerful episodes and tragic episodes you know there's been some dangerous ones as well and i and i can't imagine the johnny canine guy probably got got some danger you know you gino hernandez from you know a previous season and of course the dino bravo you're talking about an underworld the mob and, and the gangs and things like that like was there ever like a fear for you guys personally <laughs> when diving into some of these stories oh yeah, yeah jason take it away well, my God. well, which one do I tell the Gino one or the Dino one? <laughs> <laughs> well, the Gino one was, you know, someone broken, broke into our car when, you know, we were, we were, we were look, you know, starting to film the episode, which, yeah. you know, was an unrelated matter, but you know, that, that definitely when you're, when someone's breaking into your car at three in the morning and, you know, trying to hotwire it, I think you, you know, you start to think like, should I be telling this story? Um, yeah. <laughs> but 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 Jason had a, a quite a traumatic experience uh, during the production of the Dino Bravo episode. Yeah, because we were we were filming in Laval, uh, Montreal, where Dino was from, and where all his um, business exploits were like happening. And, and <laughs> it was like shortly after it was in the middle of season two while we we're doing post on the episode. 
um, I had my identity stolen and they like got into my email, my bank accounts and it was a complete nightmare. And it was something that I had to deal with for like a full on week, you know, nonstop. And when we got the investigators involved, it was they pinpointed to a place in Laval that was like <laughs> a colo- like half a mile away from Dino Bravo's house is like where this came from. So, oh and when I caught, they, I was also told this is the work of the Montreal mafia. And I was, Oh boy. Super. Yeah, by so, you know, I'm still yeah. here. So, you know, we're still standing. Yep. Yeah, and yet you're gonna you're gonna tackle Johnny Canine and do it again for season three. Uh, Yeah, and and you know, and 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 that one you know involves yeah some um uh you know yeah an an unresolved double murder you know and so I mean yeah I mean these are some risky risky stories to be to be telling but you know it's why you have to be you have to be careful but yeah i mean you know when when we're making this show i mean when we first started out making the show we never thought like yeah you know going to be meeting with former drug dealers off the record and with tape recorders and you know and and, and identities being stolen but you know hey this is a this is this is the this is the underworld of this so one day dark yeah. side of the ring is going to be doing an episode on youtube i know it's going to be dark side of the dark side of the ring no, but, but where some... did evan and jason go <laughs> don't say it. don't say that god forbid um the, the, but you know what season finale. now will be you <laughs> yeah this will be it yeah there'll this be reenactments the of this seen of them uh, yeah. They were talking and to Bully and LaGreca, and that's it. It was over. We never no, yeah, that. they'll be interviewing Bully and LaGreca, and we'll be saying, well, we, we warned them. We told them. Like, <laughs> before. Like, be careful. No, but, um, yeah. but you know, it is dark side of the ring, but there have been some bright sides. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you mentioned one of the dangerous episodes, the Gino Hernandez episode. Like, you were able to find closure for Gino's mom. Like, that probably she mm-hmm. would never have been able to get if you guys didn't do that episode. Yeah, it's just <clears throat> obviously those are the the best moments Jason and I have, you know, with this making this show is those moments where, you know, our subjects, you know, talk about catharsis or talk about how it's lifted a weight or, you know, maybe there's some uh, they're they're they have more of a sense of closure. Any of that is is really because we don't want to just take these dark stories these troublesome tragic stories and just exploit them for the purposes of a tv show you know we want to find um the the purpose you know um whether it's through just having these difficult conversations i think that is positive or just you know maybe there is some you know people can get reunited or relationships can get stronger and i think you know we met talked about the the uh jake the snake roberts and the smith family episode i think that you know is is a work in progress for them and i think you're going to see that in this episode and i think that is quite powerful so even though that episode is one of the darker ones you're going to see this season i think that you know in the end there's light at the end of that tunnel if there possibly can be so i think that's you know that's what we try to do you know looking at this series and how successful it's been i know for like our world like bully and i and tommy and mark like this show's now been busted open's been on the air now for 12 years and it took a long time to develop it to get it for mm-hmm. people to believe in it and still you know it's a pro wrestling show so there's always going to be the detractors but success is the final fu right you know when we were told <laughs> we were the number one sports talk show on sirius xm you know in front bully and i in front of 750 people were able with our bosses in the same building kind of give our middle finger like we told you so you guys 
both Jason and Evan. I know for a fact, having spoken to you, obviously, Evan, and Jason finally now finally decided to answer phone calls and emails and coming on the show for the first time. But, no, you guys have, hey, the number one show on Vice. Um a, a big resurgence of, of pro wrestling programming. There's now like an imitation show on A&E, you know, trying <laughs> to bite off some of your popularity. Like, you know, and I'm being serious here. Like, hey, you know, now Vice is getting more pro wrestling content with having MLW come to Vice. So you opened the door for that as well. Like, you got to be like, hey, kind of like I told you, you didn't believe in it. But now do you believe in it? Because it's your most popular show. Well, I mean, come on, it's, it, 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 there's, a, there's a time to glow and there's a time to pat yourself on the back. <laughs> no, I think we're, 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 I mean, it is super gratifying, you know, because there was a lot of hurdles in the beginning. You know, there was a lot of, is this show going to rate is, um, you know, wrestling, you know, question mark, you know, th there was a lot of that in the beginning and to get the show off the ground was well, not only just getting the show off the ground, but also getting it to air, you know, um, mm -hmm. originally, I mean, there was a chance the show was going to be shelved for a little bit, you know, because the belief in the wrestling fan base or, you know, having that audience come to watch it you know uh to have that you know was a was a question mark because this wrestling has never really been part of vice's you know brand or identity so it was just a world they didn't know much about going into this and so yeah i mean it's super gratifying and also wild almost surreal to think about now how much wrestling is a part of not only just that tv channel but now that the show is being you know that there's spin-offs of the show talking about yep. football talking about other you know subjects and that's it's just it's surreal because going back four years when, you know, Jason and I were really trying to, you know, get this off the ground, we just stayed true, you know, to our gut. We knew the fans would come. Like if we yeah. built it, we knew they would come and we knew the stories, especially the strength in the stories was the thing I think that we were the most confident about was like these stories are going to enrapture or just captivate anyone. They don't have to be yeah. a fan at all. It's like not even a prerequisite at all. Yeah, and, and I you do know remember, what? too, when we finished the pilot episode, I remember looking at Evan and being like, like with the format that we created for it and with the reenactment like style, I thought like, this is something that could go across multiple different genres and it could um, be something right. that Vice could really embrace and, you know, expand upon. We're kind of creating a format for them because they never had done reenactments or anything like that uh, prior to us. And you know, at first it was kind of, it was something that we really had to like push. We had to really prove to them that it could work. And we even, we had to like shoot our own, just even reenactments with action figures, just at first <laughs> interviewed ourselves to cut little things to show them like, look, this is what it's going to feel like, but we'll get actors and we'll shoot it in a studio yeah. and whatnot. But, you know, yeah. so now there's a version. What, there's that? a version, there, there's a version out there of Jason playing Dutch Mantel. You know, you know, talking yeah. about what happened, you know, that night. And then it cuts to my action figures of Bruiser Brody and, you know, Tony Atlas, you know, and, and yeah, that's, that was, that was part of the, part of the salesmanship, you know, but it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and again, the premiere episode tonight, the Brian Pillman episode airs tonight on vice 9 PM Eastern time. Uh, the first half of the season bully, listen to some of these topics, man. Uh, you're going to get a uh, collision in Korea, Nick Gage, 
the ultimate warrior, Grizzly Smith, as they talked about, and Dynamite Kid. Those are must-see episodes. And then the second half of the season, Bully, uh, they get into the WWF steroid trial, which I can't wait. Uh, FMW, mm. which we've talked a lot about here on Busted Open. Uh, the WWE's plane ride from hell from 2002. Um, X- XPW, uh, as we talked about, Johnny Canine and Chris Canyon. These are some heavy-duty episode guys. I can't wait to watch them all, man. And seriously, you know, Jason, it was a pleasure meeting you, man. Uh, thank you for, for hopping on. Evan, you've always been a friend yeah, of the you. show. I'm so glad that this has been successful, man. And I, I hope uh, season three brings on season four. I really do, because you guys are tremendous. Thank you for coming on. Thank oh, you. thank you, guys. Appreciate it so much. Thanks for listening. Catch us Monday through Saturday on Busted Open from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM. Fight Nation, Channel 156. The Busted Open Podcast. Busted Open is part of the Sirius XM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Ed Robinson. The associate producer is Gabby Laspisa. Andy King is the director of sports podcasting for Sirius XM. Special thanks to SiriusXM Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, the legendary Steve Cohen, and SiriusXM Fight Nation Program Director, Marissa Rivas. SiriusXM Podcasts. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.